Welcome to Gesundheit with Jacobus Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus Hollowine. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Welcome to spring and welcome to Gesundheit with Jacobus. It's very nice to be with you. A beautiful show today, a very interesting show, new concepts. Uh, Dr. Dan Carter is back in the studio talking about neurotransmitter diseases, uh, something that you wanna, you do want to know about because it is very interesting and very groundbreaking. Health, healing, and healthy lifestyles are the topics. We do it with the experts, give them a chance to chat about their profession or chat about something they're just passionate about. As always, health, healing, and healthy lifestyles forces me to say that uh, actually you can use that one also if you want to grab that one down. Which one is more convenient for you? Look at that. Yeah, you're a pro. First time in the studio, I guess, huh? Yeah, all right. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're ready now. Yeah. (laughs) We're trained trained professionals. Chuck, good morning to you, by the way. Good morning. Not by the way, but I'll be good morning. <laughs> as always, uh, as we talk about health, healing, and healthy lifestyles, uh, we're, not, we're here to educate, inform, and entertain, and not to treat, diagnose, or cure. So keep that in mind. I uh, always suggest that you see a professional of your choice, read more on the internet, find periodicals or books written by reputable authors so that you can be the best educated person you can be for the topic at hand. Let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Dan. Dr. Dan is a naturopathic physician. He graduated from National College of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon in 1994. After taking comprehensive board examinations, he was licensed as a naturopathic physician in Oregon. He then completed a two-year family practice residency at Portland Naturopathic Clinic, the college's teaching clinic. During his residency, he taught a lecture and laboratory class, laboratory diagnosis. He also supervised medical students in the teaching clinic. After his residency, he was appointed to a full-time faculty position, teaching classroom lectures on laboratory diagnosis and public health. Today, he manages his own clinic in Bozeman called Alpine Physicians Health Center, which is located at 613 West Lemmy Street. But he is also still going out of town to teach seminars to other professionals. Some of his treatments include general health care, acute and chronic infections, cardiovascular disease, gastrointestinal disorders, problems caused by toxins, autoimmune diseases, sports injuries, and nutrition. During the week, you can reach Dr. Dan Carter at 406-586-2392. You can also go find him as of today on the World Wide Web at Alpine physicians.com alpinephysicians.com dr dan it's always a pleasure to have you on the program thank you so much for sharing your wits your jokes and all your knowledge with us yeah i uh really appreciate being on here and uh, the main reason i do come on is to uh share my jokes so that's right and i got yeah. a few i got a few for you today <laughs> so let's make sure we don't forget all right <laughs> we'll get them all in this is uh, this is going to be quite a topic. Uh, from your quick conversation with me before the program, uh, you are so excited about this. Uh, this is almost like a new, 
it's, I don't want to say a paradigm shift, but definitely something for you that has broadened your knowledge and understanding about why the body may be going through diseases and disorders. And by understanding this, you realize that we you, you have reached a new avenue of uh, treatment as well as success. Well, that's correct. Uh, for the last couple of years, I've really been doing a lot more treatment of people with anxiety and depression. And the problem is getting them off their drugs and onto an effective treatment program. But uh, since changing the way that we think about these problems to being a neurotransmitter imbalance and how to effectively correct that imbalance, it uh, opens up a whole new way to treat these problems. And it's not only anxiety and depression, but it's insomnia, migraine headaches, uh, fibromyalgia, ADHD, and we can actually help stabilize the uh, treatment of Parkinson's disease. Wow. So it's, it's really a nice addition to the way that we can uh, deal with these problems. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's um, uh, understanding, working with uh, this whole term neurotransmitters. In my uh, promo leading up to the show, I mentioned that there are over 1,100 neurotoxins, which I would like you to explain what that means, 1,100 of them, but that these neurotoxins can create or can be the cause of some over 100 different diseases that we deal with today in this society. Well, that's absolutely correct. There's so many, uh, like you said, uh, over 400 neurotoxins. Is that what you said? I thought you said over 1,100. Okay. That's that's good, 1,100. That's... uh, that's a lot more. So, while unfortunate, we have to deal with all of those. Uh, the problem with those is, is that they interfere with normal nerve conduction. And in order to have uh, normal sensory nerve function, like feeling in your hands and uh, feet, and normal brain function, uh, thinking, <laughs> And uh, the ability to uh, stay in a happy state Mm. rather than, and by happy, I mean, you know, functioning really well in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, When people get uh, depressed or anxious, that function uh, goes down. They're dragging. They're dragging all day long. Mm -hmm. They're dragging Mm -hmm. because the, uh, the brain can't see the good in the world at that state. Mm-hmm. And so all, all that uh, comes out is, is the problems that they see. And uh, so oftentimes uh, communication goes down, uh, they withdraw. Yeah. And of course, things uh, become uh, more hopeless. And so that leads to other problems that we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. But mm. I think, uh, you know, since we're talking about neurotransmitter diseases, it's important to... Uh, have some idea of what a neurotransmitter is. And while I sometimes get accused of being too technical, I'll have to give you a little bit of a... Def- not by us. Oh, I'm sure not. <laughs> right, Chuck? <laughs> well, we'll... <laughs> right. No, 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 no. I'm... If it is quiet, it's because I'm taking notes. Yes, thank you for that one. So anyway, neurotransmitters are chemicals produced by the body 
They're used to relay, amplify, and uh, balance the signals between nerve cells and another cell or between two nerve cells. And why is it important to know that little factoid is because uh, if there's insufficient neurotransmitters, then the nerve signaling doesn't occur as it should. Partial signals occur, and whenever this happens, then the the neurotransmitter diseases occur. So insufficient neurotransmitters means the body goes into a disease state. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of that can appear as decreased ability to function well mentally, but can also lead to pain, mm-hmm. okay. fibromyalgia and uh, migraine headaches. So uh, it's not just a thought thing that we're talking about. It's, uh, you know, the actual uh, function of things like muscles. If you... If certain nerve cells do not communicate because of a lack of neurotransmitters, can that also create an avoidance of pain, for example, that you don't feel the pain because there is no signal going to that nerve? Not usually. No, it usually increases the pain, unfortunately. Okay, okay. Because uh, the pain fibers (laughs) operate on a different system. Okay. And yet... By building up the level of neurotransmitters like serotonin, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people know about because Mm -hmm. it's such a common one, uh, pain is decreased. And so a lot of times people come to me and they say, yeah, I have back pain and my doctor put me on uh, a Prozac or something. Right, right. Or Celexa. Or Vicodin or... No, we're talking about uh, apples and oranges here. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> the Prozac is the. Uh, let me an- let me I- have let me have a sip of my coffee. I think I'm not here yet. <laughs> the Prozac is the antidepressant. The uh, Vicodin would be the pure Pain painkiller. Mm-hmm. And so, while the Vicodin affects the uh, transmission of uh, pain signals, the uh, antidepressant can also modulate that, meaning it'll change it, decrease the amount of pain, mm-hmm. but. There's a lot better ways to uh, to do it other than antidepressants. Right. Mm-hmm. So the problem is, uh, I had a uh, wonderful uh, man from uh, Gardner come to me a couple of years ago, and he had uh, chronic back pain and was put on a specific antidepressant, and he had no depression. I mean, he loved his job. He had a good life. Interesting, yeah. And... Uh, he wanted to withdraw from that antidepressant, but he could not get off of it because when he tried to, he would get extreme shock-like symptoms in his body hmm. and other really unpleasant uh, goings-on that he could not withdraw from that drug. Every time he tried, he would have these symptoms, and so we had to uh, build up the level of neurotransmitters and then get him off uh, slowly, wean him off. Wow. And so he finally did that. Uh-huh. Now, if you look in the uh, books regarding um, the antidepressants, yeah, uh, most of the ones in use now are called SSRI drugs, mm-hmm. selective mm-hmm. serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Right. And uh, there's a 
problem called discontinuation syndrome. And if you look on WebMD or a similar website, they'll say, well, this isn't really much of a problem, and you can just withdraw from the drug over a week, and wow. it'll go away in another week. Well, I've seen too many people with discontinuation program that goes on for months. So mm-hmm. uh, it's it's better to avoid the drugs if you can, and if you can't, then a uh, medically supervised uh, discontinuation will help a lot. And not all the drugs are the same. Not all of them will con- mm-hmm. uh, cause such a bad discontinuation syndrome. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I always uh, almost have a feeling where we're going with this today on the show because of uh, the prep that I've done. And it, uh, I, I really invite everybody to stay put because this is going to be an exciting three hours uh, talking about some very great solutions that have been discovered where people will be able to get off these antidepressants uh, in order to find healing. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting, isn't it? I mean, it is well, exciting it, in your field as well it, uh, to to see this and say, you know, my God, you know, these are battles that we have uh, dealing with people who say, I want to move from uh, the Western medicine, which helps, but it, not completely. I want to move to a more natural approach that, that, that you have now uh, the tools to start making those changes for people. Well, when we talk about effectiveness, we'll sh- see that uh, the approach that we're talking about today can be a lot more effective than the antidepressant drugs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially for specific groups of people. Now, you got to keep in mind, too, that everybody is an indiv- individual. There was a uh, principle discovered, I think it was in the 1970s, by Morrison, may even been earlier than that, called biochemical individuality. And so everyone reacts a little bit different to things such as, you know, so common as foods. Mm -hmm. We know that everybody can't eat the same food and feel well. Same thing. You know, if someone has uh, an illness, not everyone can be treated the same. That's true. And so... Every person has to be treated differently, and even this program, you start people on it, and when they uh, don't respond as you expect, Mm -hmm. which means a beneficial response, Mm -hmm. uh, you really have to look at everything. And Mm -hmm. one of those things that we look at is uh, the neurotoxins. Neurotoxins, Mm mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of interferences with that we can find that we have to overcome. Yeah. And all of the other uh, hormones have to be balanced too. Mm-hmm. If you have somebody and you put them on a treatment program for depression and you don't check thyroid first, then you're really missing an easy uh, fix if they're only hypothyroid. Right. Makes sense. Because mm-hmm. nothing works well in the body and if the, uh, if the thyroid is not is working. Not working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. But these uh, neurotransmitters, what happens is you have uh, two nerve cells. You can put your fists, fists, that's those hands when you close them up tight, fists, uh, a few (laughs) inches. Don't say fists. (laughs) Fists. (laughs) (laughs) You can put your fists a a few inches apart, and that's like the uh, two ends of a nerve cell. Okay. And then what happens is one fist say the left fist will excrete or secrete 
the neurotransmitter, okay. say serotonin. It'll go in the space between the uh, two hands, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it'll travel to the uh, right hand. Yeah. And as soon as it contacts the right hand, it'll initiate a signal in the nerve going up the right arm. Okay. So the antidepressant drugs work by keeping the serotonin, in this case, in that space between the two hands okay. for a longer period of time. It doesn't let it get removed, and that uh, removal is called reuptake. Okay, I see. That's why they're called reuptake inhibitors. Right. The problem being that uh, over time, even though that neurotransmitter is kept in the space between the nerve cells, it gets broken down. Mm-hmm. There's an enzyme called monoamine oxidase. Okay. And heard it, about that uh, also. Yeah, MAO. Mm-hmm. Uh, and MAO, monoamine oxidase, breaks down the serotonin or other neurotransmitter over time. And so you deplete the amount that's available to use. And that's the reason that the antidepressant drugs... The uh, many sleep medications become less effective over time. Mm. And so the solution is to increase the dose, okay, which increases the side effects. Mm-hmm. And then if that doesn't work, a second drug is added to see if efficacy or effectiveness can be reobtained. Yeah. So... The problem <laughs> that arises then is that they don't work unless there's enough neurotransmitters within the uh, nerves themselves okay. to uh, promote these signals. I see. And so it things just build up over time and become worse and worse. The only way to correct this is to build up the levels of the neurotransmitters, wow. and that's what this program does. Yeah. And that's uh, so when the neurotransmitters are low, and especially with the SSRIs as well as the MAO inhibitors, then we have we start having problems where the communication is not there, and then the nerves, well, well, the nerve signal can't can't occur, cannot occur, cannot occur. You have to have enough of that neurotransmitter going over the space to uh, initiate a signal on the next nerve. Mm-hmm. And so that if those nerves are in the brain and those signals aren't going across, then, you know, you get uh, foggy thinking, mm-hmm. uh, you can't sleep, you get uh, more body aches, and you're depressed. Are we talking uh, in these signals, uh, is when, when it goes from a nerve to a nerve, uh, these, these, uh, these, these chemicals involved, do they actually carry nutrients uh, so that these nerves stay healthy and stay alive? Is that is that part of the uh, the, the the transport as it swings from one the neuro the neurotransmitters are going from one nerve to the next? Do they actually include nutrients as well? No, the neurotransmitters are just that they help the nerve uh, transmit signals. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nerves are uh, get their nutrition in other ways. Okay. Uh, through the myelin sheath? From little not? little capillaries that are close to them. Okay. So just like any other cell, mm-hmm. they'll be fed by the uh, blood capillaries that are close to them. Mm-hmm. 
And these are the nerves everywhere in the body. This is not just the nerve in the brain. Right. Everywhere in the body. Everywhere in the body. Yeah. So what does the myelin sheath uh, have to do with something like this? Does the myelin sheath protect the nerves? Well, the myelin sheath is uh, like insulation on a electrical wire. Okay. If the insulation gets worn off, then you get short. And the signal does not go down the nerve like it should. So if you're making a phone call... Uh, you know, in, in Bozeman to uh, Belgrade, and you got a short somewhere in the wire, some bird lands on it and yeah. uh, wears it out. Yeah, starts picking on <laughs> it. Starts picking on it. Uh, the signal will stop at that point. If the myelin around a nerve cell uh, gets worn off, so to speak, you know, it doesn't wear off, it degenerates. Yeah. Uh, the nerve cell will short out at that point and then the signal will not go through. I see. So probably the best known disease where that happens with myelin degeneration is multiple sclerosis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You get what are called plaques and those are loss of myelinated uh, nerves. Right. And when we talk about phone lines, some of these nerves, uh, motor nerves especially, can be three, four feet long. Wow. Dr. Dan Carter and myself and Chuck will be right back. We have a caller who would like to get in touch with Dr. Dan Carter, who is talking about neurotransmitter disorders as well as neurotoxins. Caller, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Your name, how can we help you, please? This is Early. Hey. The bird. Early bird. The spring bird. Yeah, since I'm an early riser, I've already been listening to uh, the so-called Unabomber Ted Kaczynski story this morning. As you remember, he hurt and killed a number of people, and his brother said that he was quite a sensitive and intelligent guy that seemed to separate himself from humanity so much that he no longer had empathy for the human predicament. He got four life sentences, and now he sits in his box refusing to talk to anybody. Now, if you would prescribe any material substance or food to him to open up and not feel so separate and at odds with the rest of us, what would healing program for somebody that's extremely withdrawn and sitting in his little cell or box be? <laughs> well, that's very interesting. Uh, you would definitely want to make sure that he has uh, sufficient levels of serotonin because that is the neurotransmitter that fe- makes us feel good, makes us happy. Uh, feel good about ourselves, feel feel good about others. Uh, you have to balance that with uh, norepinephrine, and we'll talk about the reason for that. But, uh, you know, you'd, for a guy like this, you'd have to check for uh, neurotransmitter, uh, neurotoxins. Uh, things like mercury toxicity can make a person extremely withdrawn, paran- huh. paranoid, uh, unprovoked anger so it would fit uh, a profile like his so you'd really have to look at uh, Mm. his neurotoxin level and Mm -hmm. get rid of that probably uh, getting him on a good diet uh, getting him some counseling would help yeah that would be something outside himself but some substance might be something he could take now if you had to change the prison diet, because I, I heard a health food woman that said yeah. that she, uh, I think she was from Wisconsin, she said she got some people to change the prison diet. What would be a good diet for the prisoners to take? Well, uh, they've looked at that, and just putting 
the prisoners on a diet sufficient in uh, B vitamins and minerals uh, lowered the aggression rate significantly. Huh? Because the prison diets are oftentimes uh, not vitamin and mineral sufficient. Hmm. And, uh, you know, the I don't know whether they, they can buy candy bars in prison, but uh, that would certainly interfere with... Uh, even the nutrients that they do have. I've also heard, and Daniel, you may have heard about that too, uh, taking uh, prisoners off wheat. Wheat, uh, taking wheat completely out of their diet has uh, had some great success as well. Well, that's that's the thing. You have to uh, get the people off their food sensitivities. Like we, yes. uh, we're talking about uh, biochemical individuality. Not everybody can eat wheat. Not everybody Correct. can eat dairy. Yeah. And if they eat those foods that they're uh, sensitive to, really sensitive to, they that affects mood. Yeah, if anybody's interested in this woman that got the prison system to change a bit, Wisconsin is kind of progressive and adventuresome. She's associated with Manitowoc ovens in Wisconsin. That's a way to figure out what she's done. I haven't heard about her for 10 years or more, but she might have got some interesting information about the prison foods. Hmm. Okay. Thank you so much, Daniel. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We are talking about neurotransmitter disorders, diseases, as well as neurotoxins and how the two are linked. And Dr. Dan, in the first half hour, was uh, talking about uh, what are neurotransmitter diseases and what are neurotransmitters. We also talked about SSRIs, how they work, and uh, putting your fists together. (laughs) That's an analogy, you know. Analogy. It's uh, the space between the... uh, (laughs) Hands is the uh, synapse. That's right. The space between nerve cells. And also the space between our brains and all the listeners' brains. Right. That's right. That's it. The closer we are together, the better we fire. That's right. That's right. So um, let's uh, see where we're going from here, the the on-off switch. Well, let's just go back just for a minute to uh, the neurotransmitters. Please. Uh, serotonin is uh, considered an excitatory uh, neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, which means it uh, sets off nerve signals uh, better than an inhibitory neurotransmitter like glycine, Uh, which means that these things balance each other out. Even though it's an excitatory neurotransmitter, it uh, relaxes us. It uh, takes away tension. One thing that uh, high-sugar foods carbohydrates do is raise serotonin levels temporarily notice that temporarily right (laughs) and so when your blood sugar drops from eating high sugar foods you have to eat them again to feel better and that's what we refer to as emotional eating right it's one of the things that uh, feeds emotional eating is this uh need to have the serotonin level up, and carbohydrates can drive that up. Oh, yeah. It's a lot better to have a sufficient protein diet that uh, maintains the levels of serotonin on a more even basis. And minerals as well. And minerals as well, Mm -hmm. and we need the vitamins, of course, to uh, even make the serotonin. Okay. Another example, which I think is interesting, is dopamine. Dopamine Mm -hmm. is another uh, excitatory and inhibitory neurotransmitter, and... We have a uh, archetypical disease state 
that uh, occurs when dopamine levels are insufficient. What exactly is dopamine? I mean, compared to serotonin, what it is it just another neurotransmitter? Well, it's another neurotransmitter with uh, different properties. Does it work in a different part of the body? Does it uh, does it work uh, parallel with serotonin? All of not? the uh, yes, of course it does. All of the uh, no, I didn't mean that in a snippy way. <laughs> yes, it does, Jacobus. It does. My serotonin just dropped. <laughs> no, all of these work in cooperation. There's not ever just serotonin going across the uh, yeah. synapse. Mm -hmm. There's also norepinephrine, epinephrine. So dopamine is. Uh, there's a lot in the brain, and. Uh, when we say excitatory and inhibitory, dopamine, mm -hmm. of course, is decreased in Parkinson's disease. That's the, mm. the landmark uh, disease for knowing about dopamine. And when there's not enough, the inhibitory function of dopamine uh, decreases and people start getting tremors. Okay. See, the nerve, nerve conduction is, is not controlled well, and so there's a... Uh, a tremor that develops. Oh, wow. Okay. And then eventually the inability to uh, walk uh, normally. Mm -hmm. And uh, by building up the levels of dopamine with L-dopa uh -huh. and carbidopa, two drugs, that uh, tremor can be uh, controlled to a certain extent. It just depends on the state of uh, the advancement of the disease. So there's other ways to uh, help stabilize that. Well, if we get that far, we'll talk about it. Wow, interesting. But it's and, and this is, um, uh, just to reiterate, the, uh, the reports are that there are more neurological disorders the farther we are away from the equator, north and south, or is it primarily? I know MS is higher. Is it also with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and Lou Gehrig's that the farther we are removed from the um uh, equator that these problems occur? Well, you have to look at what moving farther from the equator causes. Okay. And uh, one of the main thing it causes is decreased sunshine mm -hmm. and sun intensity. And <clears throat> it's turning out that vitamin D3, and notice I emphasized D3. D3. That's uh, cholecalciferol. Mm -hmm. If you get D2, that's ergocalciferol made from plants. Mm -hmm. And it does not function as well in mammals as natural D3 does mm -hmm. that the mm -hmm. body can make if given a chance. And uh, D3, of course, we know is made via sun exposure in the sun. The sun comes through the skin, uh, interacts with cholesterol, mm -hmm. good old cholesterol. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If we don't have enough cholesterol, we can't make vitamin D efficiently. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. And so then that uh, converted cholesterol uh, goes to the liver and a couple of other places in the body and is made into active vitamin D. Mm -hmm. Vitamin D is totally essential for uh, nerve health. Okay. And uh, can, can help prevent the autoimmune aspect and the demyelination as aspect of uh, multiple sclerosis. 
Yeah. And that's why the farther away you get from the equator, the higher the rates are. But my point is, and I really appreciate you explained this to us, um, we see indeed an increase in these type of diseases today. Well, we, yeah, we see an increase in the uh, depressive uh, states or the neurotransmitter diseases mm -hmm. farther away we get from the equator. Yeah. And an, another reason for that is that uh, sun and natural full-spectrum light lifts our mood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it has uh, a lot of other effects, you know, through the nerves within the eye. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't get a little bit of natural sunlight into the eye, not by staring at the sun, certainly, sure, but by exposing ourselves to sun every day mm -hmm. that it's out, <laughs> mm -hmm. which isn't very often this time of year. No. Uh, we get a real uplift in mood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and there is therefore more, if you talk about depression, there is indeed more depression farther away where we live this far and even up in Canada it's a lot harder for people to be happy, especially if they're really sensitive to yeah. to these kind of disorders, uh, lacking the vitamin D specifically. Well, I lived in Alaska for 16 years, and we had, uh, of course, now it's called seasonal affective disorder. Up there, we called it cabin fever. Uh -huh. People would uh, almost go nuts being inside and in the dark all the time. Mm -hmm. So uh, if somebody went off the handle, they'd call it cabin fever. Yeah. How did you treat it then? Get them out of their cabin. Okay. But there's still not enough light. At least no, get them out. That was a joke. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> so you got to, that's a joke, son. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, again, that was not, that was not sippy. <laughs> <laughs> so. Be, I feel it's going to be a long three hours today. <laughs> So we were going into uh, neurotransmitters uh, as an on-off switch. Yeah. So that's the concept of this uh, treatment method. And if you want to get a real good look at, you get disease symptoms. Mm -hmm. So that could be depression, could be anxiety, migraine headaches, ADHD. Yeah. So what we do is we build up the levels of neurotransmitters with specific amino acids and B vitamins. And when there are sufficient neurotransmitters, it turns the switch on. Now, notice I said sufficient levels, not normal levels. Mm -hmm. What's a normal level of a neurotransmitter? Well, it's uh, some arbitrary value uh, obtained by looking at... Uh, hopefully a sufficient number of people, a large number of people, let's say, and getting a uh, average or a, uh, a range of what all those people come out mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. all of the neurotransmitters. Yeah. And then you take a statistical analysis and come up with, well, two standard deviations each side of the mean is the normal range. Yeah. What if you've got an interfering factor? You've got a, a, new, a neurotoxin, yeah, nerve damage. Then normal levels aren't enough to cause signaling. You have to get them above normal in order to overcome the block of the neurotoxin mm -hmm. or some disease process that has damaged the nerves. 
And so by getting it above that normal level to a level that works, the uh, switch is turned on. Disease symptoms clear, brain and nervous system works as it should. And uh, as we've said, other factors other than the neurotransmitter levels can have major effects. If you've got high levels of mercury or lead, which are both well-known neurotoxins, the nerves still won't work as well as they can until you remove those neurotoxins. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's the problem with uh, <clears throat> the conventional approach is they always measure blood levels of lead or mercury. Most of our heavy metal toxicology uh, is chronic. Our exposure is chronic. And so if you look at the blood, you're not going to find anything unless a person has a current uh, fairly good exposure. Say a, a child eating lead chips will have a, a measurable blood lead. Yeah. But if they wait, uh, you know, a month after he's eaten his lead chips, uh, the blood level will be normal and... Uh, that lead will have deposited in bones and other tissues. Mm -hmm. And so the only way you can find it is to uh, look other places than, than uh, in the blood. Yes. And so, once again, you know, if you've got something in there that's blocking the normal function of nerves, doesn't it make sense that if you remove that, something would start working better? Because you cannot always remove it. Well, a lot of times you can, though. Mm -hmm. You can remove lead and mercury. Yeah. And, uh, you know, occasionally uh, conventional medicine will take on a process of uh, lead chelation if a child shows uh, not only high blood levels, but also neurological damage from that high blood level of uh, lead. But if it's a chronic case and the uh, blood levels don't show up, it's nothing's done. And so those uh, neurotoxins stay in place. I see. Now you can have, you know, other common neurotoxins like uh, pesticides. Yes. Pesticides uh, keep uh, acetylcholine from working. Yes. They break it down. Acetylcholine is another really important neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you have uh, people that work for uh, pest control companies, and by the end of the summer, a lot of them can't hardly walk straight. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Unbelievable. And so over the course of the winter, those levels slowly go down, and they can uh, function again, function again and yes. uh, start mm. uh, restoring their toxin levels the next summer, which is unfortunate. Yeah, because you do that for so many years, all of a sudden they won't go away anymore. Well, Very difficult. That's, that's conventional thinking. Correct. Once again, if you take preventive measures, uh, you know, by decreasing exposure as much as possible mm -hmm. and then taking uh, nutrients that replenish uh, acetylcholine levels. Yeah. One of those is choline, mm -hmm. interestingly enough. B vitamin. And uh, then you can uh, get those up. And mm -hmm. there's ways to detoxify pesticides. Pesticides are a solvent. And there's uh, good ways to detoxify solvents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you can get rid of these things, and and uh, everything works better. Yeah. 
So it is, it is really re-establishing a balance. It's re-establishing a balance. Yeah. So when things are out of balance, like we uh, often have talked in the past about hormones, if you balance the hormones by raising what is low, then we are we can actually see a vast improvement of symptoms. Exactly. And then at the same time, we can help to detox the body from whatever is causing the other the, the, the high part and then um, and then start seeing some vast improvements quickly. Right, it sounds like we're getting some music. So what I want to talk about right after the uh, break is uh, mudslides slides, and cars. So remind me of that. Good. I will talk about mudslides and cars when we come back with Dr. Dan. Gesundheit with Jacobus will be right back. We uh, Before we go to uh, Dr. Dan's uh, joke about mudslides and cars, we have a couple emails. Uh, there is one email that says, Good morning. During your radio program, you made a comment to the effect that any treatment program should be able to be measured by the benefit obtained by the affected person after beginning treatment. My question is this, is it common or likely to have a health crisis, quote unquote, in treatment of neural problem? I've been having troubles with muscle control and balance and have been pursuing a couple of different health-based as well as energy-based treatments. Recently, I felt I suffered a setback in treatment. If the problem is caused by neurotoxins, would you expect the extent of the problems to increase after beginning treatment? That was a question by Leah. Well, if the uh, if the problem is neurotoxins, uh, the only reason that a setback would occur after the treatment started is because uh, the treatment itself has released those neurotoxins from their storage places in the body into the bloodstream where they can affect the uh, brain and nervous system more readily. Okay. Um, the problems will increase after you begin the treatment because if the treatment increases the release of neurotoxins. Correct. While those neurotoxins are in the bloodstream, the symptoms will be worse. Mm -hmm. If those neurotoxins continue to be removed, then over time, symptoms will go down. Excellent. You have to, uh, the best approach is to take an exposure history, see what the neurotoxins may be. Mm -hmm. If they're toxic metals, then we can measure them. Yes. And then take specific actions to decrease their levels. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for that. All right. Hopefully, uh, Leah, that will answer your question. If you have uh, specific questions for Dr. Dan Carter, uh, give him a call during the week at 586-2392. 586-2392. That is 406 for those of you outside this area. You can also go to his website, alpinephysicians.com, alpinephysicians.com. And um, so, mudslides and cars. The reason I brought that up is because it's a uh, not a joke, it's an analogy. Okay. Uh, yeah, dang it. What we have is a uh, highway, and that's the nerve. Mm -hmm. And then we have cars, and those cars... Traveling down the highway are the nerve impulse. Okay. And uh, the mudslide is a damage to the nerve or a neurotoxin. Okay. Until we clear that mudslide, 
the cars can't go down the uh, highway or mm-hmm. the nerve. Mm-hmm. So the uh, nerve signal can't progress until that uh, mess is cleaned up. Yes. And so once that mess is cleaned up, the mercury is uh, removed. The, uh, the lead. The lead is removed. The uh, pesticide is removed. The signals can't occur correctly. Right. And sometimes the uh, mudslide will cause part of the road to be uh, caved off the cliff next to it. Hmm. and takes much longer to repair or is impossible to repair. Mm-hmm. And so uh, electrical conduction is, is decreased. You mm-hmm. have to remember that we're, uh, once a nerve signal is initiated, uh, that nerve signal c- goes down the nerve in the manner of electricity. We're uh, electrical beings, hmm. and we work on electricity, and a lot of... Uh, Electrical treatments can really help people. And by electrical, I mean things like microcurrent. Hmm. Uh, TENS machines use microcurrent. TENS Hmm. is a way to decrease pain. Uh, It's often used for back pain, but other places the body also. And uh, by applying a current, it uh, sort of closes the gate to pain. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are other ways to use electricity to heal things like macular degeneration. And it's been proven to really help. Wow. Uh, after injuries, using microcurrent to help re- reestablish nerve conduction mm-hmm. and increase the healing rate. Wow. So once you get that uh, mudslide out of the way, uh, the cars can travel down the uh, nerve highway and uh, get to their location to signal the uh, next nerve or the organ that needs to take an action in the body. Mm-hmm. So the the nice thing about uh, Dr. Hen's work is that he came up with something called the bundle, bundle damage theory. And uh, what he says is that neurotransmitter defu- dysfunction disease develop when electrical flow the, through the nerve bundles that regu- regulate function is compromised by damage to the individual neurons composing the neuron bundle. So these are the groups of nerves that come together. And then the uh, ability to conduct electricity is uh, compromised. And in order to restore uh, neuron bundle regulatory function, the levels of neurotransmitters need to be increased to levels higher than normally found in the system. Uh-huh. And that restores adequate outf- electrical outflow. The problem is if a no- number of the uh, neurons of the bundle become damaged, the flow is diminished, leading to dysfunction. And so only by getting higher levels of neurotransmitters to overcome that dysfunction can you uh, allow the remaining functional nerve cells to signal in a more uh, normal way so that the person can actually uh, recover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's, that's why normal levels of uh, neurotransmitters are, in, are not sufficient to correct the problem. Yeah. And that sounds really good and, and well, so, you know, by restoring levels of uh, neurotransmitters to a above-normal level that uh, works for most people, there are always those that it doesn't quite work for, and those are called paradoxical responders. Anytime you give a drug, you can have a paradoxical reaction. What that means is mm-hmm. you expect a normal uh, mechanism of action or a response to a drug, and when that uh, drug doesn't cause that response or causes one totally different, 
then you call that a paradoxical response, and that can help happen with this system too. Okay. It's not too many people that respond this way, but when they do, <laughs> it's it's a real challenge to uh, tra- track down the uh, cause of the paradoxical response and correct it. And that's what you also mean with our, uh, that we're all different. We're all different. Right. So, yes. Okay. But the percentages of success with Dr. Hinz. And for those of you who would like to know more about what this doctor is doing or what Dr. Dan, you've met the man. Is that right? You did a uh, study Yeah, I did him? a workshop with him, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. and uh, you can go to the website neuroassist.com, neuroassist.com, and read more about it. Uh, find some very interesting information. It's a, it's a wonderful website. It is always part of it, but the amounts are very successful the, the the success with this approach is great and the exceptions gladly are on the low side they're on the low side Excellent. yes mm-hmm. the reason this works better than uh, the uh, ssri and snri drugs is because we are actually restoring the levels of neurotransmitters level to a uh, point where they it's enough to uh, correct the problem that occurred in the first place Mm-hmm. Now, if it's a, a simple problem of uh, diet and uh, nutrition, then it's extremely easy to correct. So we can look at the reasons why the switch turns off. Okay. That means our neurotransmitter levels are too low. Diet, first. Okay. Diet's always first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, you have to look at yeah. it. You know, you it's really what we to. do most of. We really have to look at diet. Uh, so... Once again, we come to too much sugar, too little protein. So we've talked several times about who's going to have too little protein. A lot of times people that are overweight and depressed have too little protein because they use the high-carbohydrate, sugar-rich foods to help lift their serotonin levels and their mood. But remember that that's a very temporary fix and leads to crashes both in uh, sugar levels and in mood. So we get the sugar low. Yes. So low on the sugar. But, uh, yeah, and and sugar, for a lot of people, they think it's just white sugar, but there's a lot of uh, ways that we can get our sugars in through carbohydrates, even with uh, whole grains, uh, a lot of vegetables, fruits, etc. Yeah, and the... You know, the uh, big thing that I do with people is have them start eating a whole food diet. Mm -hmm. They have to eat a whole food diet. If you start eating uh, processed foods, if you start looking at labels, everything, almost everything, Mm -hmm. has high fructose corn syrup added to it. There's been a real uh, high-pressure ad campaign put on by the... uh, Corn Growers Association saying that high fructose corn syrup is not a problem. Yes. <clears throat> it's just like sugar. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's not quite like sugar. It reacts uh, different in the body, raises insulin levels to a greater extent, and uh, helps contribute more to uh, mm-hmm. diabetes than plain sugar. <clears throat> but in any, either way, uh, I can't emphasize enough the importance of eating a whole food diet and staying away from the High fructose corn syrup. Yeah. Of course, one of the worst sources for that is uh, soft drinks. Okay. Very high amounts of uh, high fructose corn syrup in soft drinks. Yeah, that's right. And so, uh, you know, the kids are trying to feel good, get energy, 
and uh, then they're having the crashes. They get low, and uh, of course they get overweight too. So whole food diet. Yeah, you know, and, and and even though we already see amongst our young people an increase in obesity mm-hmm. as well as bone loss, uh, somehow they are still because they're growing. They're still very. They seem to come across very resiliently against drinking all uh, everything that they drink and eat, but just. In the next 10, 12 years, we may see some uh, uh, amazing increases in their disorders, neurological disorders, if uh, we don't put a stop to this or at least start reducing it dramatically. Well, we're already seeing that in the uh, <clears throat> many kids that have ADHD yeah, and the uh, levels of teen depression, Yeah, uh, both of which are treated with uh, pharmaceutical drugs Yes, and could be more successfully treated with uh, diet and uh, amino acids. Yes. It seems so simple, doesn't it? I mean, once you have the answer, it seems very simple, but you still need to have the discipline to start incorporating it into your life. Right. Yeah, yeah that you is, do. And that is an approach that uh, that deals with, obviously, the parents, the children, uh, the school system. It seems like mm-hmm. everything gets very political when it comes to school. I mean... Kids bring vitamins to school, literally vitamins that the parents say, we know that this is a B vitamin and you cannot be caught by it, with it. Uh, they'll say you, you're not allowed to take it. And it's a little bit, uh, the, I don't know if it's the right way to go, but uh, how else can, can kids uh, take the vitamins? So there needs to be an openness in the schools and needs to be education, in my opinion, to help children if they do want to take vitamins that they can take them when they need to. Right. Absolutely right. So we also need, uh, you know, a lot of the diet doesn't contain enough of the uh, vitamins and minerals due to uh, soil depletion and Mm -hmm. uh, storage. Storage of food depletes vitamins. So Mm -hmm. B6, vitamin B6 is really important because it's needed to synthesize the neurotransmitters in the body. Mm -hmm. If you don't have enough B6, you cannot uh, make the uh, serotonin, for example. B12, we need that to ensure nerve myelinization. Uh, in order to make that insulation for the nerves, you need B12. And then the B12 that we need is the one that starts with the M, the methylcobalamin, better than the cyanocobalamin that starts with a C. Right. To so do the M one. The M one. The M one uh, is. The M one. <laughs> the M one is really useful because it is the uh, one of the forms that is uh, doesn't have to be metabolized to another form to work in the body. That's right. This is a bioactive form. <clears throat> yeah. We also need folic acid. Yes. One thing uh, folic acid does is it helps re- reduce uh, glutamate toxicity. Hmm. Okay. Glutamate is always an excitatory neurotransmitter. Glutamate comes from many sources. Possibly the most well-known is from monosodium glutamate, mm-hmm. MSG. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so that's why, uh, you know, they call it Chinese restaurant syndrome, simply because, at least in the past, a lot of Chinese restaurants used a lot of MSG mm-hmm. in the food. It uh, enhances the flavor. And I guess one reason we need enhanced flavor is we get our taste buds uh, very jaded by uh, processed foods. Mm-hmm. Processed foods, high in salt, high in fr- high fructose corn syrup or sugar. Yeah. Interesting. It's uh, probably a conspiracy by the Chinese to uh, kill us quickly. So uh, it, folic acid really helps decrease glutamate toxicity. 
Mm-hmm. Now, uh, numbers here, if you talk about uh, it's still up to the individual uh, on an individual basis, but if you talk about B6, B12, folic acid, um, uh, some people go by RDA, recommended daily allowance. When you talk about folic acid, are you talking about a 5,000 microgram? Are you talking about a 1,000 microgram? I know people who take 5,000 micrograms in one little capsule. That seems extremely high, but they say that it has really worked for them. Um, folic acid, for example, what are you looking at approximately? Well, uh, when you look at the RDA, that is uh, usually the amount required to keep disease symptoms from occurring. Okay. <clears throat> it's not enough for optimum health. No. So uh, folic acid, you know, 800 micrograms a day would be a, a better level than, than As an addition than to what hopefully you get out of your diet. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And then B12, what would you recommend for B12? Well, B12, of course, you want to take the methylcobalamin form. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and... B12, it sort of depends on what's going on with your uh, body. I mean, if you take 1,000 micrograms, it's uh, certainly enough mm-hmm. uh, per day orally. Okay. And, of course, that's going to depend on how much you absorb. It's not how much you take of anything mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. mouth. It's how much you absorb that actually counts. Right. And so uh, if you can absorb the B12... That is, you have good stomach acid. Mm-hmm. You produce intrinsic factor. Okay. Your bowel's intact, terminal ileum, the part of the small intestine where B12 is absorbed. Yeah. Then a thousand micrograms is certainly plenty. So when you do a lozenge that goes on with the tongue, then obviously uh, you should have better absorbability, right? Well, the the uh, lozen- lozenge. Uh, is supposed to bypass problems in the stomach with intrinsic factor, yes. So, so then if you do a 1,000, you definitely be. In the oh, good. yes. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. And then B6, what we're looking at B6? Well, 50 milligrams uh, two, three times a day or more than that? Well, 50 milligrams a day would be enough if you absorb that. All right. We have a caller on hold who would like to talk to you, Dr. Dan. Uh, caller, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Your name, please. How can we help you? Yeah, my name is Bill from Belgrade. Hey, Bill from Belgrade. Um, I had someone tell me that the taurine in energy drinks, that's in most energy drinks, can cause kidney stones. Is is that true? Taurine? Taurine? Yeah. I think it's an amino acid. Well, taurine is uh, <clears throat> an amino acid-like substance. It doesn't actually build proteins, which is the definition of an amino acid. But taurine is a... Inhibitory neurotransmitter, so it helps calm you down. And it's also really useful for getting magnesium to work correctly in the body. So it helps, you know, move magnesium into cells. So uh, it's not surprising that it's an energy drink. I've seen it in a lot of the uh, energy drinks. And uh, no, there's no reason why taurine would contribute to kidney okay. stones. Yeah. That was just probably hearsay. She said that her son was drinking a lot of energy drinks, but one in a small can. Uh-huh. And he got kidney stones, and she said that the doctor told her it was from drinking the energy drink from the, the Tory. Well, the energy drink may have contributed, but I don't think it's the Tory. Okay. It's like uh, saying that, uh, that Ma Wong... 
causes a uh, disease in the body because they put they, they did put that in energy drinks and that is what caused uh, this baseball player's death. Uh, we don't know anything else about the man except that we knew he was running in a rubber suit, 103 degrees uh, over a track in the bright sun, and he yeah, had and he a heart attack. Excessive amount too. Well, and that, but, you know, they say, well, we have to take uh, Mark Wang or Fedra off the market because it may have caused this man's death, which is uh, absolutely ridiculous. And it's the same with Taurine. Now they're maybe going to create a, create a witch hunt on Taurine or so. Well, Taurine's uh, extremely safe. It's really essential for the heart, uh, the brain, and eyes. And uh, the th- problem with energy drinks is they have uh, usually high, high amounts of caffeine, uh, which is uh, diuretic, and so when kids eat, drink a lot of it, they're going to de- get dehydrated, possibly, and uh, they're going to get a lot of uh, <laughs> excess uh, excitatory stimulation going on. Yeah. I mean, the caffeine, the guarana that they often put in the energy drinks, both of those are direct stimulants to the nervous system yeah. to help pick up energy. It says over here, Bill, taurine is an amino acid that regulates heartbeat, maintains cell membrane stability, and helps prevent brain cell overactivity. It has been shown in small double-blind studies to be effective in improving heart function in congestive heart failure, lowering blood pressure, and reducing seizures in people whose epilepsy is poorly controlled with anti-seizure drugs. And it doesn't say there is no cautions and warnings, no side effects, no drug interactions, no food interactions, etc. So well, good. I'll stop searching for drinks that don't have it. Then. Yes. All one, right. One less thing to worry about. Okay. Yeah, the taurine okay. definitely is not the problem. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for the call, Bill, and have a good Sunday. Great. Thank you. All right. right, Bye-bye. If we have another caller, but caller, please call us back, and then uh, we'll get your call, and we'll give you all the time that you need. Hopefully, you can hang around that long. Come, we'll be right back. Thank you very much, caller. Your name, how can we help you, please? Hi, it's uh, Terrence. Hey, Terrence. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. Um, I'm a practitioner of traditional Asian medicine, and and, uh, there was a question about uh, kidney stones. Um, Oh, that's right. Taurine. Yes. Yes. Actually, it's the cold liquid that is doing the uh, kidney stone uh, work about 80% of the time. Mm. It is people that are drinking, uh, or excuse me, eating uh, ice cream or cold yogurt with ice who develop about 80% of the kidney stones. You can also look at your own face in the mirror and underneath the eye where people would have a baggy eye. If you look right there on the underneath the eye, you can see a bunch of little white dots. Little what? Little white, little white bumps. Okay. Um, and if you if you have those little white bumps, usually the average person has lower back pain, huh. which lets them know that their kidney stones are are there. They are alive and they're growing. And I've had many people uh, it, lose their their kidney stones simply by stopping the use of dairy products, and ice, ice cold. Ice cold, all right. Well, very <laughs> interesting. So it's not the taurine. It's not the taurine, as your, as your associate there is saying to you today. It's not, that's not it. All right. But what it is, usually, well, not, not all the time, but about 80% of the time, it's from eating ice cream. The person who gets the, the kidney stones is just an ice cream freak. Oh, wow. They eat a, a half a gallon every day, and they get kidney stones. Wow. Well, so all you can have is a quart, uh, Chuck. 
quarter ice cream. <laughs> Not a. <laughs> well, thanks for the insights, uh, Terrence. Yeah. We appreciate it. Bless you. All right. Have a good Sunday. Carla, thank you for joining and waiting. What is your name? How can we help you, please? Hi, Jacobus. This is Betty. I have a Hi, been Betty. diagnosed with a neurotransmitted transmitted disease. I'm not quite firing right in my brain. And I have read Braverman's and McCleary's books and tried to educate myself. And I'm doing the bees, but and I will make an appointment with, with the Dr. Dan. Dan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in the meantime, because I'm going to be gone, I'm wondering what advice he might have. Uh, just the bees and stuff like he's been talking about. Well, I would do the bees, but I would also make sure that you... I should tell you, excuse me, I should tell you, I know I'm acetylcholine deficient and uh, uh, a GABA personality, GABA nature. Okay. So you're low in both acetylcholine and GABA? No, I'm not low in GABA. Okay. So the GABA is normal. I would uh, certainly make sure that uh, you've got essential fats in your diet. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Uh, fish oil is... That's fish oil? Okay. Yeah, fish oil is extremely important for... Uh, how, no, how much? How much can I take? Like 4,000? I use uh, just a lot. I just say uh, for people with neurological disorders, uh, up to a tablespoon a day. I missed that part of your One, program. Okay. Yeah, okay. a tablespoon a day. Okay. For people with uh, frank neurological disorders, uh, normal people, I usually have them take a teaspoon a day. But is that then more the cod liver oil because it is higher in the DHA, or is it more the uh, the anti-inflammatory fat, the high EPA? I'm taking EPA higher. Yes. So do you suggest that she would switch to the higher DHA to rebuild the myelin sheath, for example? Well, I think the uh, plain old cod liver oil and fish oil work fine. Yeah, they're two different kinds. Well, you make your recommendation then, because I just use cod liver oil most of the time. Okay, good. So that is that. And then the other one, acid, acid, uh, acetylcholine, is very high in, in lecithin, but then specifically what they call the triple less, triple strength lecithin, which has higher amount of acetylcholine in it. Uh, I think they describe it as a 35% acetylcholine is usually what it says on the, on the container. Would you recommend that too, Dr. Dan? Sure, uh, yeah, phosphatidylcholine, uh, lecithin mm-hmm. is always good for nerve problems. Mm-hmm. I'm taking 1,200 milligrams of lecithin, but no acetylcholine. Right, so what you do is then uh, next time look for, an, uh, an uh, they call it phosphatidylcholine, or they call it a triple-strength lecithin, and when you look at the label, you see that the amount of uh, acetylcholine is much higher in that specific lecithin than in ah. regular lecithin. In regular, okay, because uh-huh. it says high in uh, fossil, fossil, however you pronounce it. Phosphatidylcholine. Yeah, but I probably don't have the right one there. Okay. If you have one that says 1,200, it's that still is. it's still very good. But okay. what you want to do is look at the back of the label, and uh, are you taking capsules or are you taking uh, pow- Cap- uh, capsules? Capsules, capsules. So look at the supplement facts on the back of the label in the rectangle box, big word Not supplement facts, listed. and how, what is the serving size? Not even listed. Okay. Uh, Serving size is three soft gels. Three soft gels. And then you go down the list and you'll see below, I think actually it will say at the bottom of the rectangle, it will actually, uh, it may give you some levels of uh, phosphatidylcholine, phosphatidylinositol. Does not. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. It does, Jacobus. Yeah, 540 milligrams of uh, 
the choline. Choline. Yeah. And so that is in three soft gels. And so what yeah. you have, if you do the one that says triple strength, you're having about 14 to 1500 milligram in three oh. soft gels. <clears throat> okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Anything else, Dr. Dan? Uh, the B vitamins, like you said. And then... Uh, All the B vitamins, fish oil, and... Uh, High choline, phosphate. So is it something that when Betty uh, wants to take that, if she would take a B-complex, let's say a B100 or a B50, is that something that she can just take safely? Yes. Okay. And then would she have to take extra folic acid at this point if you uh, until she sees you? Well, if there's folic acid in there, that's fine. Okay, we were talking about uh, going to talk about <clears throat> minerals, and, uh, of course, magnesium and calcium are always important for... Uh, the body, but uh, magnesium especially is essential for so many enzyme systems in the body. Mm-hmm. And one that is especially good for the nervous system is lithium. Okay. We always hear about lithium in, in the uh, treatment bipolar. of bipolar disorder. And what they're doing there is they're using uh, near toxic levels of uh, up to 200 milligrams a day. And so the person has to be tested periodically to ensure that lithium toxicity does not occur. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. However, low doses, between 10 and 20 milligrams daily, are very safe and beneficial. When uh, researchers at Wayne State University uh, tested lithium, they found it has the ability to both protect and renew brain cells. 80% of the uh, study participants taking lithium showed an average 3% increase in gray matter of the brain in four weeks. I'll be darned. It also protects the brain from excitotoxins. So what are excitotoxins? Well, if you do any diet drinks, you're getting excitotoxins. Uh, Aspartame is perhaps the best known along with MSG, Mm -hmm. which we've already talked about. Yeah. And the problem with excitotoxins is they uh, increase the amount of glutamate in the brain. We talked about glutamate as being entirely uh, excitatory neurotransmitter. And the problem is you can get glutamate toxicity, and that damages brain cells, Uh actually damages brain cells. So uh, the lithium helps protect the brain from the excitotoxins. Yes. It's always wise, of course, (laughs) to eliminate the excitotoxins and so all artificial sweeteners should be uh, banned from your diet now when you uh, when you talk about lithium and lower dosages um, five milligrams is that safe well five milligrams is certainly safe but we go up to 20 okay uh, for maximum benefit with no uh, downside I'll be darned and that's per day I had somebody ask me for um, if we had lithium orotate, well, which we do... Lithium is, orotate is the best form. Is the best form. Uh-huh. Okay. Definitely is. All right. So people, uh, anybody, in a way, according to your information, when they're dealing with these kind of disorders can easily take about 20 milligrams of uh, lithium a day without having any down effects. That's correct. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, we have another caller who would like to get in touch with you, Dr. Dan. Uh, caller, thanks for joining us today. Your name, how can we help you, please? Uh, my name is Mary. Hi, Mary. And I had um, Graves' disease when I was 21, 
And my thyroid tests go up and down and up and down ever since then, and I am 55. Can you help me with something like that if I come to you? Yeah, usually when the uh, person with Graves' disease has their thyroid removed, either surgically or through radiation. uh, It was both. Yeah, okay. Well, you certainly had it all taken out then. Thyroid level is usually easily reestablished and stays stable, but it's uh, so it's unusual to see it fluctuating all over the place with a stable dose. I imagine you're taking uh, Synthroid or Levothyroxine? Synthroid. Uh-huh. At one, uh, 0.125 right now. Right. A lot of people are just fine on Synthroid. Other people do better on a mix of T4 and T3. Uh, Synthroid is just T4. That is the least active hormone that the thyroid gland normally puts out, and it has to be converted to T3, mostly in the liver, but also in some other tissues. Mm -hmm. And some people don't uh, do that conversion too well, and so a little T3 can make all the difference. So, uh, you know, we can... You can either uh, use a compounded exact formulation of T4 and T3, mm-hmm. or you can use porcine-derived uh, thyroid. It's called USP Thyroid. Common brand is Armor Thyroid after the big ham company. Mm-hmm. And uh, that often works uh, better if the person is not doing really well on Synthroid. Okay. So the best way what you need to do is with somebody like Mary is that you would have to take a look at her blood results. And if she hasn't had any, you probably do a blood test to find out where her levels are. And then based on that information, uh, you could uh, make some recommendations and work with her. Well, we would, uh, you know, we definitely uh, want a TSH, which is the uh, least sensitive uh, thyroid test. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to adjust levels of hormones, it'd be really used to, useful to have a free T3 and T4, free T4 level. And by knowing that as a baseline and having the dose of uh, Synthroid, then we can get an equivalent dose of uh, the USP thyroid, mm-hmm. switch it over, and then retest mm-hmm. in a month. Mm-hmm. Have you uh, had blood work done every year, uh, Mary? Yes. And Twice how, a year, usually. Right, and so you have copies of blood tests in in your in your possession. Not in my possession; they're at the physician's office. Okay, that would be very helpful for you if you can call the physician and ask maybe for the last two three years to see if he can get your test in your hand, because then you can actually put them on a table, spread them out, and look at the changes that you have observed. Of that you have experienced in the last several years. And then uh, if you go see somebody like Dr. Dan uh, Carter, and you can call him at 586-2392, then um, you can set up an appointment, take those with you, and then he can already work with uh, the information that he gets from you. And if there is not enough on the blood test, he may recommend you do another, uh, another blood test that will be more thyroid-specific. Okay, thank you so much. I will make that appointment. All right, thank you, Mary. All the best to you. Yes, thank you. All right, bye-bye. And we will be right back with Dr. Dan. I have been hearing about barium as a contaminant in the environment, and recently my sister had a hair analysis performed to determine which, if any, heavy metals she might have been exposed to. 
The test results show barium and uranium. Water testing on the well indicated, quote-unquote, normal results. So the sources of the heavy metals is unknown so far. Currently, she is trying to eliminate the barium, which our online research indicates can interfere with the activation of the immune system T-cells. Is there additional information showing that barium can interfere with other neural interactions as well? It seems to cause paralysis when people end up being poisoned by it, so it seems quite likely. Do you have any tests that can identify barium levels? And do you know of or have any treatment procedures which can be used to eliminate the metal? That is by Lane. Question by Lane. Well, it's a very good question that I can't answer. It's not as simple as, no, I can't answer it, but I would have to research it. Okay. Uh, barium is not usually one of the uh, toxic metals that we routinely test for. All right. And so I would have to uh, look at our testing companies that we use and see which one could reliably test for barium and what kind of a sample we would need to get a good uh, answer. Okay. And then, uh, you know, I'd have to look up the uh, toxicity profile on barium. Okay. Uh, it's, you know, mercury, lead, you know, the toxicity profiles of those arsenic. I mean, because they're so common. Barium is much less common. Okay. Uh, and then you uh, look at the methods of treatment, how to get rid of it. Is there a chelating agent or a supplement that can help eliminate it? Uh-huh. So that's the approach I would take. Okay. So, Elaine, at this point, uh, I would suggest that you check Dr. Dan's website. It's uh, alpinephysicians.com, alpinephysicians.com, all one word. And then uh, look for the email contact, and you can either call him by phone, leave a message that he is will have all your information, or send him an email at that address, and then he can stay in touch with you. Is that fair did you, did you look at my website when I put it I up did. yesterday? I did. That's why okay. I got some of the information. I, uh, I, I noticed that. Yeah, is that okay? Let me repeat that's, that. Because no, that's, I, <clears> that's fine. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I just want to say that that's the first publishing of the website. And now that it's published, what I saw was not what I saw on the uh, soft, oh. software program. Hmm. So I have to make a few modifications uh, in the appearance of the website. Okay. That's number one. Number two, I have to find HTML code to connect the email to so I can access it. Okay. And so people need to call me now. All right. That's the best way to go, and that is uh, 406-586-2392, 586-2392. And uh, we have Dr. Dan Carter with us in the studio. He is a naturopathic physician, graduated from National College of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon in 1994, After taking comprehensive board examinations, he was licensed as a naturopathic physician in Oregon. He then completed a two-year family practice residency at Portland Naturopathic Clinic, the college's teaching clinic. During his residency, he taught a lecture and laboratory class, laboratory diagnosis. He also supervised medical students in the teaching clinic. After his residency, he was appointed to a full-time faculty position, teaching classroom lectures on laboratory diagnosis of public health. Several other naturopathic physicians in the Bozeman area were students of Dr. Dan while they were going through their schooling. Today, Dr. Dan Carter manages his own clinic called Alpine Physicians Health Center, 
in the Bozeman area. He's still going out of town to teach seminars to other professionals, and he pretty much treats everything from head to toe, both inside and out of the body. Correct. Is that fair to say? Yes. You don't fix <laughs> TVs and radios, but you do everything else. Yes, uh, the human body is, is what I fix. It's complex enough. It's complex enough. <laughs> yeah. It definitely is. All right. So let's just talk uh, briefly about the SSRI and SNRI drugs. How effective are they? And I would like to preface this with a statement about treatment availability. Not everywhere in the country uh, has treatments that are available that are uh, other than the antidepressant drugs. And so it's really important that depression be treated. It's imperative that depression be treated. Uh, people that are happy and are not depressed do not commit suicide. Uh, they don't uh, get angry as much. They don't uh, commit violent acts as much. And so uh, it's really important to get uh, good treatment for mm -hmm. depression. There's, uh, you know, sort of a uh, middle land. Uh, the West Coast is really well covered all the way over to uh, Montana, with the exception of uh, Nevada and uh, Colorado and New Mexico, yeah. uh, with licensed naturopathic doctors. Mm -hmm. And uh, the East Coast, uh, in the Northeast, is, uh, has some good coverage. Everything else, uh, aside from the 14 licensed states, uh, <sighs> It's really hard to get uh, non-drug treatments that work. Yeah. And so, you know, you need to say, well, these drugs are bad. Well, you need to get the, the depression treated. You need to treat the anxiety. You need to treat the bipolar disorder. Yeah. And then if you can find a practitioner that uh, can treat it in a non-pharmaceutical uh, manner, then that's all the better. Okay. But uh, here's a question. If you believe that a drug that gets 7% more patients better than taking a sugar pill is effective, then you also believe that antidepressants are effective. I see. Wow. It's dead bad, huh? So uh, they studied 5,972 people. 7.08% of people suffering with depression treated with the uh, SSRI or SNRI drugs got relief of depression symptoms that were better than placebo. Wow. E equals a sugar pill. So what happened is that they treated everyone so that 7% could get better from the depression and 92, 93% got the same results in treatment of uh, depression as if they had taken a sugar pill. Wow, that is shocking. So it, they're not really that effective. And uh, the, uh, a lot of antidepressants have black box warnings uh, mm -hmm. making known the risk of suicide. And the warnings, precaution, and adverse events for each serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, depression drugs, they uh, have a notice near the top of the warning regarding clinical worsening, worsening and suicide risk. So a lot of people get worse on the drugs and the risk of suicide goes up. It, you sometimes wonder, and I know it is a cliche question, but how in the world can these drugs be allowed? Um, how, I mean, if it is this bad, and we, we hear more and more about violent acts based on people who have been put on antidepressants, it is just unbelievable 
that we're going, that the government uh, people are going after B vitamins and fish oils and simple things like uh, herbs like Ma Wong and Kava Kava, uh, instead of uh, shutting these places down who make these uh, these uh, these unwarranted claims and and make billions of dollars on stuff that really doesn't help society. Uh, follow the money. Well, and I realize that, but it is you know what wh- what does it take for us to stand up? And uh, and get this stuff changed. Well, money equals political power, and right now, political power and money runs the FDA, and the FDA decides what's approved. When they do a double blank placebo controlled study, in order for that study to be accepted, it has to meet uh, a rule called the ninety five percent confidence rule. Mm. That means ninety five percent of the time. Well, there's one in twenty chance. It's easier to put it this way. One in 20 chance that the results are due to uh, random results. Mm-hmm. So the rest of the uh, people that uh, were treated with the drug, if they responded, uh, got better. Yes. There's only one in 20 chance that the drug didn't cause the good response. Yes. The thing you have to look at is, is you know, how many people really benefited. Yeah, the people that did respond... They proved that the drug worked. Well, and were uh, these people severe cases, or were they the light, the easy cases that that saw an improvement, or were they actually mild to, or were they medium to 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 uh, heavy depressed people uh, who saw an increase? And and just because you see an improvement, does it mean the symptoms were totally gone, or were they just improved? Well, they were improved. Yeah. And a lot of times the clinical trials will continue until you get one that meets the criteria. Many of the negative trials are never published. Yeah. And so you've got a uh, autom- automatic uh, bias put in there. Mm-hmm. If you, uh, It doesn't cover uh, specifically the antidepressant drugs, but uh, the book Overdose in America is extremely good when looking at statin drugs, yeah. how the uh, clinical trials have been totally misleading. Yes. Uh, they can say from the results, uh, yeah, this is an effective drug for reducing the rate of death from uh, heart disease, yes. talking of the satin drugs. Yes. But when you look at the actual studies, uh, the author of uh, Overdosing America, uh, a real <laughs> smart MD guy, mm-hmm. uh, found that uh, the studies didn't back up their claims. Oh, I see. They didn't back up their claims. Yeah, wow. Well, we're in, uh, you know, the fact that there's only 14 states where naturopathic physicians are uh, allowed to practice us at this point, knowing all the training that you have to go through, as well as your residency and your practice, uh, it is unacceptable in a country for what we stand for over here for freedom and freedom of choice that uh, it's not in all uh, 50 states. Well, it's uh, 14 states are licensed. There are licensable naturopathic physicians in every state. Okay. Uh, but they practice uh, without a license and a very reduced scope of practice. Yes. I mean, most states will have health food stores, but there's no other place where people can go to find uh, to do have the blood work done and have it correctly analyzed and uh, have alternatives to, uh, to, to dealing with uh, some of the disorders they're dealing with every day. Right. So, well... So back to the drugs. These drugs actually deplete the neurotransmitters that are available. And if there aren't enough present in the first place, they don't work very well anyway. 
and the lower the neurotransmitter level, the worse they work. And they actually deplete the level of neurotransmitters. And so it sets up a condition that causes more neurotransmitter depletion. So the whole purpose of this show is to show the importance of increasing our neurotransmitters right. and how that actually can reduce the diseases, over 100 diseases that we're dealing with, including anxiety, depression, obesity, OCD, uh, weight gain, etc. Over 100 diseases and what uh, we are being presented uh, otherwise is drugs that actually reduce the amount of neurotransmitters only making it worse and only when people try to get off these drugs making it even harder to to find that balance again that's correct wow that's a shock and the thing is the <clears throat> the people that usually prescribe the antidepressants take into no don't take into account uh, neurotoxins and they are a major influence absolutely they absolutely. really are mm-hmm when you look at age groups with uh, the antidepressant drugs, uh, let's take the elderly, which yeah. is defined 65 years of age or older. <clears throat> Results of double-blind placebo-controlled studies of antidepressants in the elderly reveal that the drugs are no more effective than sugar pill in relieving symptoms of depression. In fact, sugar pill is superior to giving people 65 as age or older antidepressants since a sugar pill is just as effective, costs less, and has fewer side effects. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so if you're over 65, there's no benefit to the antidepressant, and uh, there would be a, a real advantage to building up neurotransmitter levels. Children. Boy, this is really a, a hotbed and a very bad situation. Antidepressants are very bad for children and adolescents, and they're associated with violent acting out due to a disconnect from reality. Of interest here is an adolescent study where the subjects taking Prozac got significantly worse while taking this drug. There was a uh, story from the uh, Daily Mail in England, 6 February 2009. A teenager was put on uh, Prozac, and uh, then he killed his father with a uh, hammer and crowbar. And then he attacked his mother, injuring her severely before she managed to escape. So, you know, something like Prozac definitely shouldn't be prescribed to children because it disconnects them from reality. They can't tell what they're doing. Uh, Well, several uh, other killings have happened. Uh, The the Columbine killing was blamed on uh, using Prozac. a lot As of the uh, shootings, shootings, the, uh, the Korean kid on, that uh, killed people at uh, Virginia Tech. Almost all of them have been on antidepressants. Wow. Antidepressants were designed and tested on adults, so their impact on youthful developing brains is not understood. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's concern even among uh, conventional researchers that the use of drugs such as the SSRI, SNRI drugs in children and teens might interfere with normal brain development. Wow. So if you interfere with the normal development of the brain, how do you expect the person ever to function well later in life? Yes. So you're playing with dynamite here. Yes. You know, and I want to bring up again these antidepressants. It's one of the choices, sadly enough, that uh, OBGYNs are using to uh, help women who deal with PMS-related problems. Mm-hmm. And um, 
and even young children who uh, have cramping and breast tenderness and have the mood swings uh, because of the imbalance in the hormones. They, uh, besides putting them on the pill to help them with acne issues, if they're depressed, they put them in antidepressants as well. Even though the problem is we need to balance what is unbalanced at that point. And this is exactly what you're saying with this, with these neurotransmitters. We need to unbalance the uh, the imbalance. Well, with children, you know, you look at nutrition first. You don't look at a drug that's first. That's true. That's true. You get them off the sugar. Good yeah. luck. But you get, <laughs> try and take their sugar uh, intake down. Try yeah. and get enough protein and get get essential fats and vitamins. It takes a family approach. You cannot just say, well, it we're really going to put you. The whole family has to look into the carpets and say, you know what? We can probably do without this and just get rid of it and start, start resupplying the kitchen and the cabinets and the refrigerator and say, you know, we're going to do it as a family because you – whatever the child is, whoever the child is, are too important for us, for us to let you do it on your own. We're going to do it all together. And I think that is what it takes. It's really important. Yeah, yeah the family involvement, uh, <clears throat> looking at, you know, why is the child depressed? You know, is it is it uh, the, the family situation? Is it a school situation? Something else? Uh, divorce? Mm-hmm. Separation can cause, you know, a lot of uh, anxiety in kids. And so... Biochemical imbalance is just one part of it, but if you at least correct that part, it eliminates that uh, one cause of the depression. Wow. It's a sad story. In in May 2007, the FDA recommended that the warning be expanded to include young adults age 18 to 24, uh, the black box warning about suicidal thinking and behavior. The risk of suicide is really great during the first one or two months of antidepressant treatment. Expanding to 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 children ages 8 to 24, is that what you said? 18 to to 24. Okay, thanks. So initially it was in in children younger than that. Yeah. Usually I think of 18 to 24 as a young adult. Yes. But... uh, it's, it's really important because uh, teenage brains are much more sensitive to neurotransmitter than adults. Yeah. So depletion over time by the drugs affects them more. Mm-hmm. They have done tests on uh, children's brains on alcohol, just having them drink some alcohol. What damage it does at that young an age. Uh, there is scientific research out there that alcohol damages the brain. And I know a lot of teenagers do alcohol, try alcohol and just for fun. Mm-hmm. But they don't realize the ramifications in five, six or ten years, what it can actually do to the brain. And, and making making judgment in what is right, what's wrong. It all becomes a very gray area. Yeah. And then you add to that the medications that they're mm-hmm. on. You add to that the toxicity through the neurotoxins in food as well as uh, just plain old sugar and not enough proteins and minerals you realize that the brain just doesn't have a chance it doesn't have a chance to uh, to to really build and grow where it needs to grow no not at mm. all so it's really important to uh, get teenagers and children on a non-drug approach to yeah. uh, treatment for depression and anxiety hmm. what right. what can interfere well, we've already talked about neurotoxins. The toxic metals are really bad. The pesticides are bad. Uh, other hormones can be unbalanced. So you always, in uh, adults mainly, 
you can't measure hormone balances in adolescents because they're just all over the place anyway. Mm-hmm. You just have to let them uh, balance, make sure they're not messing up their liver some way because the liver has to metabolize the hormones. That's the best way to keep them in balance. Yeah. But uh, adults, uh, the sex hormones, if they're really, really off, they can really affect uh, mood as uh, women going through menopause can tell right. you. And, of course, we definitely have to treat hypothyroidism. Yes. Wow. Thank you so much for listening today. Dr. Dan Carter will be on for another 25 minutes. We'll be right back. Yeah, this one. A young guy from Texas moves to California and goes to a big department store looking for a job. The manager asked, do you have any sales experience? The kid says, yeah, I was a salesman back home in Texas. Well, the boss liked the kid, so he gave him the job. At the end of his first day on the job, the boss came down. How many sales did you make today? The kid says, one. The boss says, just one? Our salespeople average 20 or 30 sales a day. How much was the sale for? The kid says, $101,237.64. The boss says, $101,237.64. What the hell did you sell? The kid says, well, first I sold him a small fish hook. Then I sold him a medium fish hook. Then I sold him a larger fish hook. Then I sold him a new fishing rod. Then I asked him where he was going fishing, and he said down at the coast, so I told him he was going to need a boat. So he went down, we went down to the boat department and sold him that twin-engine Chris Craft. Then he said he didn't think his Honda Civic would pull it, so I took him down to the automotive department and he sold him that 4x4 Blazer. The boss said, A guy came in here to buy a fish hook, and you sold him a boat and a truck? The kid says, no, he came in here to buy a box of... <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy. It's funny. <laughs> no, he came in here to buy a box of tampons for his wife. And I said, well, your weekend shot, you might as well go fishing. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's hilarious. What's that? <laughs> Oh, you you can change somebody's mind. All right. Well, we're talking about neurotransmitters uh, with Dr. Dan (laughs) Conner. Yeah, since Dr. Dan hasn't come up with his own jokes yet, uh, we thought it might help him out a little bit here. Uh, We were talking about SSRIs and the horrible effect that they have on people and the lack of success and the detrimental effect on people over 65 as well as on in teenagers. This is really something, folks, you cannot accept these medication without first doing your research. Please read up, study before you, uh, before you know if you are really depressed. Um, uh, so many people are misdiagnosed because it, uh, it's a big industry, and and right now we're going to talk at this last half hour. Uh, we're going to talk about how to turn the switch on, Doctor Dan. Turning the switch on, of course, we need to uh, eliminate the things that turn the switch off. And we've already talked about that, but then we need to supply the nutrients needed for nerve function, all the B vitamins and the essential fats, insufficient protein in the diet, uh, a lower. Carb diet uh, is 
essential. By that I mean, if you look at your plate and all you have is uh, rice and uh, potatoes, you're not getting any uh, sufficient protein. Mm -hmm. If you eat a lot of soft drinks, uh, if you actually uh, use commercial candies, you're getting a lot of sugar that are uh, driving more behavior toward replacing the sugar that uh, feeds your feeding behavior. So it's it's really easy to get dietary information now about uh, low-protein diets. One of the best uh, sources that I've found is the metabolic typing diet. Uh, mm-hmm. There's very good online surveys that you can take. And it gives you your metabolic type, how you operate metabolically, whether you uh, work better on protein, if you, have, if you feel a great driving need to eat during the day, yeah. if you can do without meals easy. By answering those questions, you can get your me- metabolic type, and they'll give you a ratio of uh, you know, protein to uh, carbohydrate to fat that you okay. should have. And it works really well. So that's a book that's called The Metabolic uh, Typing? Well, there there are several books about uh, metabolic typing. Okay. And uh, it's a, a really useful and way to go mm-hmm. for selecting a good diet for you. All right. Whole foods are important. Amino acids. If your neurotransmitters are depleted, in order to treat it, uh, I think they, at NeuroAssist, Neuro Research Clinics, they looked at... Uh, replacing it with just plain protein. And uh, if you've ever been to one of those steakhouses where if you eat the supersized steak, like I think there's one in Portland, Oregon, that uh, 48-ounce steak, wow. if you eat it all, and they will check on you too, uh, they give it to you for free. Wow. But uh, th- it was something like a 48-ounce steak or bigger that you had to eat in order to supply all of that's the... That's four pounds. That's four pounds, yeah. So that's a little excessive. Yeah. Really excessive, Jeez. actually. <laughs> yeah, it is really excessive. <laughs> really excessive. So yeah. you need to uh, supplement with amino acids to make the neurotransmitters. The amino acids are metabolized in the body, and the I mean, the neurotransmitter are synthesized in cooperation with the uh, B vitamins into the serotonin and the norepinephrine. Mm-hmm. So the amino acids really need to be prescribed by someone knowledgeable about how they are synthesized into the neurotransmitters. Why is that? Well, you might ask yourself, the mm-hmm. same enzyme that catalyzes the conversion of 5-HTP, that's 5-hydroxytryptophan, one of the amino acids, to serotonin and L-dopa to dopamine, Yeah is a detar- decarboxylase enzyme. You don't need to remember that. I don't expect you to. Okay, I don't That's, even know how to write it, so I'm just right. going to listen. <laughs> but anyway, there is an enzyme. And loading with only 5-HTP will, over time, deplete dopamine. Oh. And loading with only L-DOPA, in turn, depletes serotonin and leads to depression. I'll be darned. So what you have is the Parkinson's disease patients almost, well, they always get depressed because they're treated with uh, L-DOPA, uh-huh. which is then converted to dopamine in the brain. Yeah. And uh, it depletes serotonin. 
and they get depressed, and it's extremely common in Parkinson's patients. Wow. So that's a, a real good example of uh, one, one amino acid depleting another neuro- neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. So these patients, the uh, Parkinson's patients, are usually treated with Celexa or Lexapro, but these drugs, as we've discussed, ad nauseum, do not build serotonin levels. They yeah. work for a short time and then stop working because of the severe serotonin depletion. Drug doses are then doubled. Other drugs are added in an effort to get rid of the depression, but it will never go away until the neurotransmitter levels are get built up. Um, so uh, let me let me repeat that. Just using 5-hydroxytryptophan, 5-HTP, over time will help deplete dopamine levels. It will deplete dopamine. Will deplete dopamine. And if you just were to give somebody dopamine, uh, dopa. for example, dopa, excuse me, um, that, such as Parkinson's uh, patients who definitely need that, uh-huh. if you just give them that, it will deplete the serotonin levels. And yes, so it does. Okay, uh-huh. good. Yes. Right. So that's really good to know. And also, uh, supplementing with uh, tyrosine or L-DOPA will deplete cysteine. Well, no, it'll, it'll do, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. It'll deplete the sulfur-containing amino acids in the body. So uh, 5-HTP, tyrosine, L-DOPA, if you uh, supplement those, you need to make sure that you replace the sulfur-containing amino acids. Uh-huh. Is that critical? Well, fairly so, because the sulfur-containing amino acids do several things in the body. They help us detox, and that's not trivial. There's a sulfation pathway in the liver that takes care of a lot of the uh, toxins that we encounter from the environment and the ones that we produce in the body. So that's a real important pathway. Number two, Mm. if you don't have sufficient sulfur-containing amino acids, it depletes glutathione in the body. Glutathione is the most important cellular antioxidant we have. Low levels are associated with increased rates of heart disease, um, atherosclerosis, brain disorders, uh, cancer. And so you need to keep the level of those uh, sulfur-containing amino acids up. So... When you supplement with uh, 5-HTP and tyrosine, you need to make sure that you also supplement with cysteine. And and so my question to you is, there is so much good work written about the importance of this NAC, N-acetylcysteine. Mm-hmm. Why would somebody use, in this case, the L-cysteine instead of the N-acetylcysteine, the NAC? Well, I think the uh, L-cysteine may be a little bit uh, less expensive. Okay. And but if it comes down to your health and you say money is not an issue, then uh, would you still say that? Because uh, I'm working with you on a program and uh, you give me indeed the L-cysteine. So I'm just uh, suppo- I'm just wondering because I understood that the NAC, the N-acetylcysteine, is already broken down and helps the liver to produce even more glutathione. It was uh, chosen for this program. Uh, Probably because it's uh, wider availability. Okay. And, and it works. I mean, I yeah, have to say works. I'm using it and it's working. It works. Uh, NAC is really proven to uh, raise glutathione levels and it has other beneficial actions that the plain cysteine does not. 
but uh, the cysteine works. So you're talking about sulfur-containing amino acids in the body. So S-U-L-P-H-U-R. Yeah, I can't so. roll my R's like that, but that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, because some people have come in and said, well, I'm allergic to sulfur. And then they think that sulfur is sulfur. Okay, sulfur is not sulfur. Good. Uh, sulfur is a specific uh, chemical structure on the sulfur antibiotic. Mm. And it is not sulfur. Okay. And so, you know, the people that have, you're going to get sulfur. Okay, you could ask them, well, how much broccoli and cauliflower do you eat? Cabbage. Does it bother you? Because that has a lot of sulfur in it. Mm -hmm. Naturally occurring sulfur. Okay. Uh, There shouldn't be a cross-reaction. Okay. However, people that are really sensitive and you give them sulfur-containing drugs, there's some uh, chelating agents. One of them is DMPS. The other is DMSA. People with sulfa antibiotic allergies are more sensitive. They're just more sensitive. Okay. And so they may or may not have a reaction. Okay. Good. But uh, well, this is very interesting. But orally, uh, uh, there shouldn't should not be a problem with sulfur mm -hmm. in a person with sulfa antibiotic sensitivity or allergy. All right. Very interesting. And so. the basic supplement for uh, treating the depression anxiety is a combination of 5-hydroxytryptophan and tyrosine. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we know that we have to give the cysteine. And we also have to make sure that the B vitamins are there in order to allow the body to transform these amino acids into the neurotransmitters. A lot of times, the 5-HTP, uh, people take that alone for depression, and it can help. But they're going to, uh, of course, deplete the dopamine over time. And a lot of times the dose is too low. I think uh, well, I'm not going to give doses because that will be treatment. Right, okay. Uh, but the ratio of 5-HTP to tyrosine initially is 1 to 10. Wow. 10 times as much tyrosine as 5-HTP. And what the 5-HTP does is it builds serotonin levels, and the tyrosine builds catecholamine levels. Catecholamine. Or epinephrine. Epinephrine. Okay. Mm-hmm. And these are often depleted in people with uh, neurotransmitter diseases. Uh, the norepinephrine and epinephrine come from the adrenal glands. And a lot of, t- a lot of people are uh, adrenally uh, fatigued or tired. So that is why uh, the program that you have lectured on as far as weight loss is concerned that uh, the weight issues often have to do with adrenal deficiencies. Yeah, you have uh-huh. to have sufficient levels of those excitatory so neurotransmitters, norepinephrine and epinephrine, in order to uh, have energy. Uh-huh. And uh, in the weight loss program, we also give the uh, L-DOPA, mm-hmm. which influences the appetite suppression uh-huh. really effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So once the, the interesting thing is that uh, we go towards turning the switch on in stages. Uh, amino acid levels uh, build very quickly when you give neurotransmitter precursors, the amino acids. And so within five days, the person's going to know if that dosing level will work. Mm-hmm. If after seven days it hasn't worked, we go up to another dosing level. Okay. 
a higher dosing level. And we actually add a uh, supplement that's a little little different. It's got a 5-HTP tyrosine ratio of uh, 1 to 3. Okay. So we're giving more 5-HTP. Mm-hmm. And if that uh, doesn't turn the switch on, then we go up to a higher dosing level of uh, that balancing subject supplement with more 5-HTP than tyrosine. Okay. It's, it's exciting that, uh, that this research is out. Yes. And that is, uh, you know, often you hear people say there is just not enough research on this stuff in the natural field. And the man you're talking about in this case is a medical doctor who is, uh, who's done a lot of research. But this is typically what we talk about integrative medicine. This is uh, using what Mother Nature has, but having a scientific approach to validate it. And, and actually with the clinical studies that were done on this approach, uh, the clinical studies are fantastic. The success rate on thousands of people, you've told me, Thousands of people have been tested on this, have had success, be it ranging from uh, from medium to or low, at least a start, to extremely successful. And mm-hmm. so there has not really been any negative effects of this. No, there's more no, no more negative effects of the program there are, than there are with uh, placebo or sugar pill. And, uh, you know, the nice thing about the uh, program that is if the uh, top level of dosing doesn't uh, work either then we do neurotransmitter testing okay we actually take levels uh, test the urine levels of uh, all of the serotonin uh, dopamine norepinephrine and epinephrine and then we can tell how to change the mm-hmm. amino acid profile to meet the need uh, when you look at uh, how it came about, you know, a lot of this is just basic biochemistry. You don't yes. need double-blind studies. Yes. You look at the basic biochemistry and the clinical outcomes, and it's effective. You know, when you look at double-blind placebo-controlled studies, uh, there was a uh, extremely good article uh, by an MD from uh, BC, Canada, name of Ab- Abram Hoffer. He's the father of, uh, uh, what the heck's it called? Anyway, he treats uh, you know mental illness with nutrients. Okay. He found that niacin could be used to treat uh, schizophrenia, and so he was uh, the father of orthomolecular medicine. That's what, that's what it was. Correct. And uh, he looked at uh, double-blind placebo-controlled studies. How reliable are they? And he suggested that perhaps those that are most uh, adamant that it's the only way to test things uh, should apply the test to parachutes and uh, line up in an airplane and either have a parachute that functions or one that's set up to not function and see if that uh, comes up with valid results in a double-blind study. Right. That's not a fun test. No, it wouldn't be a fun test. But if it you would, got uh, that bad parachute. Uh-huh. That, but it's, it's, it shows the absurdity of uh, applying a standard that was developed for drugs Mm-hmm. Where you expect to see small differences. I mean, look, they ran, what, 5,800 people through the SSRI study, yeah. found that 7% responded well. Unbelievable. Uh, if something works, you don't need to do that. No. They looked at a, uh, in this article, he discussed a condition called idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura, which means you have low platelet count and you bruise a lot and you bleed a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, they t- treated 10 patients with. Uh, vitamin c everyone got better yes. yes they submitted that to a journal and they wouldn't accept it because it didn't meet the criteria 
of a placebo-controlled study. Yeah, yeah. Well, if 100% of the people get better, why do you need a study? It's yeah. self-evident. It's just like penicillin. Yes. When it first when it first came out, there was no antibiotic uh, resistance. Mm-hmm. It worked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You didn't need a study to tell you it worked. Mm-hmm. So we've lost our way. Yes. Uh, nutrients uh, <coughs> nutrients aren't best studied by this method. They work biochemically. You look at the basic biochemistry. Yeah, and and again, you said earlier you follow the money. Uh, the amount of money that's being put into research of something that already knows where that is a dead-end street and the money that keeps being pumped into it is unbelievable. And then uh, since we don't get the end results, the, the the word is out on the street. It says, uh, well, we're still researching. Right. And meantime, that means uh, what it says is we're still keeping people at work uh, for whatever reason. Well, mm-hmm. there are so many great alternatives out there that may help. And, uh, and the stuff that you've been talking about today, I really hope that the listeners will will check you out uh, at Alpine Physicians Health Center. Folks, uh, call Dr. Dan Carter at 586-2392, 586-2392. If anything that he talked about today may have an effect on you, uh, give him a try. Talk to him, get educated, start working with these amino acids and see the results. I'm using them myself and I am seeing results. So uh, we hope you give it a try as well, Dr. Dan. Thank you so much again for being my guest. I very much uh, had a good time today and... I thought we covered some great stuff. Great stuff. And that website is neuroassist.com. Neuroassist.com or alpinephysicians.com is the other website. Have a great week. We'll be back next week. Talk to you then.